Good morning, church. It is wonderful to be with you today. Uh, I uh, always love it. I believe the Holy Spirit orchestrates everything anyway, but that sometimes the fit is so obvious and beautiful. Uh, you'll see in a moment how, how, how wonderfully it fits where we, we saw the, the work of God in this church in our, our Missions Sunday video, how that fits with some things that, that we've thought about leading into it. But it just gives me another opportunity to say, man, I thank God for the work of this church that just comes out. And how welcoming you are as a church body for people any stage that they find themselves on the journey. And, and so it gives me a chance to say to everybody, if you're just visiting for the first time today, you are welcome here. You don't have to even know what a Bible is. You don't even have to believe it. But you are welcome in this place. It's a great place to come and explore. And, and to come, if you're like me, fail forward in my life, right? We don't have it all together. Uh, but we know the one who does. And that's who we're pursuing here and who has been pursuing us and so come join us as we're doing that. Uh, we, we've been doing this study. We started a few weeks ago uh, on the Holy Spirit. I've just been so blessed. By, I wish I could just share with you the conversations I've heard from you and, and the different ways that you've experienced God's Spirit working in your life. But I, I, I love the study of it, but I also love the conversation. So please let this be just continuing a conversation that's always been going on and, and just share that with each other. But what we've been doing is we're, we're saying we're going to have a focus study on the Holy Spirit in, in this sense of the word. We're going to look at one book of the Bible, the book of John, and we're just going to look at the places in John where Jesus himself teaches us about his Holy Spirit. Now, what, what words Jesus has for us about the gift that he's giving us in the Holy Spirit. And we started a few weeks ago, and then last night, last night, last week, we, we kind of shifted to this place in the book. We'll spend most of the rest of the series in just three chapters in the book of John, 14 through 16. Uh, scholars call it the farewell discourse. Uh, these are Jesus' words that he gave them the night he was arrested and the day before he died. And, and a major theme of that conversation is the gift of the Holy Spirit. Because he has just told them, I'm going away and you can't come where I'm coming. But, but I'm going to give you this gift. We said last week, literally the Greek word is paraclete. The one who comes alongside, the one who stands beside us, who goes with us on the journey. Jesus said, I'm leaving, but I'm not leaving you alone. I'm giving you the gift of this Holy Spirit. And we're going to see uh, Jesus' picture of the Holy Spirit unpacked even more in this week's passage. So if you have your Bibles or your devices, please join with me in, uh, uh, in reading John uh, 14. Uh, we're going to pick up in verse 25. This is literally where we left off last week. So again, this is in the conversation Jesus is giving them. Uh, the night of his arrest, the day before he died, and talking about the Holy Spirit. Would you please stand out of respect for God? What practice we do, we're just grateful that we have a God who reveals uh, God's nature, purposes, and ways to us. And you'll see on the screen, the words in yellow, I'll, I'll, I'll say those words before that. And we just express our gratitude for God, for being a God who speaks. It's the Gospel of the Lord from John chapter 14, verse 25. Jesus says, All this I have spoken with you, spoken while I was with you. But the Paraclete, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things, and will remind you of everything that I've said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. You've heard me say I'm going away and I am coming back to you. If you love me, you would be glad that I'm going to the Father. The Father's greater than I. I've told you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you for the ruler of this world is coming. 
He has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Pray with me. Father God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I suspect you've learned this in a lot of places and ways in your life, but for the most important things in our lives, book knowledge alone is not enough. Right? You guys see this all the time, but it's helpful for us to remember book knowledge alone isn't enough for the things that matter most in our lives. Again, I, I didn't realize what video was playing this week. I'm so excited about that because it fits so beautifully. As I was preparing this and I was thinking about how God taught me that or reminded me that book knowledge isn't enough. One of the ways was through our international ministry we did when I first started as a campus minister. There's nothing as rich and as, as uh, organized as what's going on here. Uh, we had a small ministry in a small church, but we started doing a, a thing called Friends Speak. It was an offshoot of Let's Start Talking. Maybe you've heard of that ministry before. Um, but we would do something similar to what, what I think is done here. And one of the things we would do is, is help international students and their families practice their conversational English using an easy-to-read version of the Bible. And so it was a wonderful ministry because no matter what happened, whether they wanted anything to do with God or not, we were meeting a need. So we were helping them with their English. But um, because our people at church were comfortable with the words of the Bible, so they, they felt comfortable doing it. And, of course, the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit. And so he would open up hearts, and you could see people shift from focusing on English to focusing on Jesus. It was beautiful. But one thing is that... that happened pretty early on we were doing this ministry our students and our church took seriously the friends part of friends speak and just like here it wasn't just you know doing bible things but it was meeting whatever needs presented themselves and pretty quickly we didn't plan this or intend it but pretty quickly one of the major things that happened early on in this ministry is we had all sorts of students and family members that wanted to learn how to drive so we were like teaching these people to drive that never had cars before never driven before by the way, anybody who's ever seen me drive, that should be a terrifying thing to you. <laughs> but, but the Lord is good and gracious, and I didn't teach them to drive the way I do necessarily. But, but I remember one of the first guys, well, the, the first guy that we ever taught to drive. And his English given name, he was from Beijing, China. Uh, but when he was on the way here, he spent some time in England, and, and they gave him an English name of Abraham. He had no idea the significance of it, and so it was fun to talk about that. But Abraham and I were out one time, he was early on learning how to drive, and if you can picture this, we had like a three or four lane highway going this way, divided into three or four lanes, and he's having to turn left, and it's the first time he's making this kind of move. And he's going out there, and like he's all timid and scared, I'm like, we waited a long time. I'm like, okay, you can go, you can go, you can go, and he waited, and he waited, and waited, and finally he waited too long, and he started going uh, when he shouldn't have at that point. <laughs> And this is the moment where I realized, look, he has all the book knowledge of the world. He understands the word I'm saying, but we missed each other in this moment. Because what I said was, floor it. We understand what I mean? And he proceeded to press the brake all the way to the floor. I was like, no, gas pedal to the floor, gas pedal to the floor. We got to the way. Believe it or not, that was not the scariest moment. Scariest experience was Marina. I love Marina. Sweet graduate student in education comes from Hong Kong, had never had any experience with a car, 
And she was about to move. I think it was to Georgia. She was about to move, and she had a couple thousand bucks. She bought a car. She said, I want to learn how to drive. Uh, like, I picked up the car. We drove out to the university parking lot, and we're driving around. And especially at that point in time, like, I'm not super good at giving very clear critique to people. I kind of soften it too much. So I tried every possible way to say, hey, you're great, but like you're not ready to do this. <laughs> it, it was terrifying in a parking lot. A anyway, so, you know, took her car home, dropped it off. <laughs> she calls me a week later. She's ecstatic. She's like, oh, this is great. I got it. And I'm like, you got what? She said, I went to the DMV and I took their test and I got every answer right on the written test. And they let me drive around the block and they gave me a license. If I ever didn't have confidence in the government before, <laughs> I'm just telling you, I lost it all. And within a week or two, she moved. And yes, she drove on the interstate to Georgia by the grace of God. I think there was a bubble around that car. She made it. And I'm reminded at a time like that, like book knowledge alone is not enough. And I want to tell you what I'm thinking and feeling in that moment. I think of Marina especially. I was dealing with what I call the undone in my life, right? Because there were all sorts of things that weren't finished, that were undone at that moment. Like she had all sorts of information, but she didn't have the skills that were necessary to keep her physically safe or the people around her. And I'm like, hold on, we're not finished with this. But honestly, what was deeper going on in my heart is there were, there were undone things with our spiritual conversation. You know, she had gotten to a point where we're reading and it wasn't just English for her anymore. She was falling in love spiritually with Jesus. And she was captivated by his heart and stories. We were talking about this. And, and just weeks before she moved, she came up and she started talking like this. She said, oh man, this grieves my heart for what the enemy's done in Christian history. She said, you know what? Like, I love this Jesus guy. But I got this Catholic friend who says, I got to go to church there. And I got a Baptist friend that says, you got to go to church there. And she said, you're not telling me I have to go to church anywhere, but you know, you're going to a different place. And I'm confused. I'm like, oh. And we couldn't finish, we, you know, we started, but we didn't finish that conversation. Do you understand? Like, I'm dealing with things that were undone as she leaves. And that's exactly the context in which Jesus is interacting with his disciples when he says these words we just read and that we started last week. He's dealing with the undone in them. By the way, and I mean undone in every sense. I chose that word specifically. I mean it in every sense of the word. Because we know they have book knowledge, so to speak. They could tell you stories and experiences of Jesus, but we all know they are not ready to drive on the interstate of Jesus' ministry yet. They don't have it yet. But also, Jesus has just told them, I'm going away and you can't come. They're undone in the Shakespearean sense of that word, too. What does it mean when Shakespeare says, I'm undone? I'm ruined, I'm devastated, I'm heartbroken. And isn't it beautiful that Jesus is speaking these words into the undone moments of our lives? To them and to us. What does Jesus have to say to people who understand we are not ready for the most important tasks and jobs and moments of our lives. What does Jesus say to us about that? What does Jesus say to those times in our lives when we were undone and devastated and heartbroken at the time? What does Jesus say? I love that one of the first things he says, like in the most important things in life, you don't just need book knowledge, you don't just need information, you need a teacher. That's what you need. You need a teacher, not just things that you can read and check and you've got the five steps to a happy life. You need somebody that will actually walk along with you through life and will teach you as you go along. And this is the great gift, Jesus says, 
of the paraclete. The Holy Spirit as paraclete, as the one who comes alongside of us, the primary or a primary role of the Holy Spirit is to be an ongoing teacher. The life and the ways and the words of Jesus. Right? What does it say in verse 26? Jesus says, the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, will teach you all things. Now, that doesn't mean everything about everything or everything that could possibly be known. The end of that sentence is important. If you read the end of verse 26, it says, all things that I have taught you. Hear this. Jesus says, I'm not fretting that things are left unfinished and you're about to drive on the interstate of the world because I'm not finished. I know you're not done, but I'm not done teaching. The Holy Spirit, as paraclete, will be the ongoing teacher of Jesus. What incredibly important picture and idea of this gift. Think about it this way. I, I, I love the way. What does it mean when he says he will teach you all things? Obviously, it's not everything. One commentator puts it this way. He will teach you all things that you need to know. He will teach you everything that you need to know about God and God's life and his ways, about who you are and your purpose of the world. He will teach you everything that you need to know. Let's just quickly look at a, a three verses that, that help me kind of unpack this. I wish we could spend more time on these. Let's just look at them quickly. Uh, first one is Deuteronomy 29, 29. One of the first memory verses I was given as a college student. Still sticks with me today. In fact, as I was thinking about this this week, this could almost be a theme verse for the whole series. Because it holds the balance of what we're trying to approach here. What does it say? This is Moses's, by the way, farewell speech. As he's about to die and they're going to go into the promised land. What does he say? The secret things belong to the Lord our God. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. Pause there. We started this series with the image of the Holy Spirit as the wind and the breath. You don't know where he's coming from, where he's going. We started this with mystery. And Moses does the same thing that Jesus does in his teaching. Moses says, look, at the end of the day, we do not know God. We do not know and never will know all of God. In fact, you will spend an eternity experiencing and learning the continual, breathtaking wonder of the love of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We will. The secret things only God knows. But he doesn't stop there. What does he say? The things revealed belong to us and to our children forever. For what purpose? So that we may actually follow the words of God's instruction. Don't think law because he thinks stop signs and speed limits. The, the instruction of God. In other words, God says, what I'm going to do is I, I'm going to take out of the secret depths of who I am and I'm going to give revelation to you so that you can actually live the life I put you on the planet to live. And Jesus now puts these together and says, that's the Holy Spirit's job. You know, the Holy Spirit's going to take from the secret depths of God and give revelation to your life that will empower you to live and follow God's ways. Isn't that amazing? Very similar to what Paul says in the next passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 10 and 11, then we skip down to verse 16. We studied this extensively on Wednesday night. Let me just give you a taste of what this is. This is a great study. If you just want to kind of go deeper in this, go study and pray through this text. Paul's talking to the Corinthian church about what the Holy Spirit does. And that's what he says. He's quoting the Old Testament at the beginning of this. What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived. The secret things. The things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things that God has what? Revealed to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. And he ends this whole passage saying, what is the purpose of all this revelation? So that we can have, this is breathtaking, you ready for this? We can have the mind of Christ. By the way, this doesn't erase what he already said in Deuteronomy 29. 
Not all of Christ. We don't know everything Christ knows. But we know what we need to know about Jesus. Right? Have you ever been close to somebody so close in your life? You've been married for a long time. And you can think like you know what they're thinking. You're not reading their mind. You've just been with them. You know their heart. Holy Spirit says, look, I can come so close in your life and teach you about the heart and the mind of the ways of Jesus. As I've heard other people say, you will think God's thoughts after him. Isn't that amazing? Holy Spirit's job, to think like the one who made you, and it will be liberating. Or, or lastly, what this passage, what the Holy Spirit is a teacher. Put up Galatians 5, if you would. We hear this one all the time about the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit, by the way, fruit, fruit. Don't call them fruits. It's not a bunch of things. It's one fruit that has many aspects, and this is important. Why? Because it's not a list of virtues that we work really hard on. It is the produce of a life in the Spirit of God. Do you hear me? Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience or forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, he says, there is no law. What does he mean by that? Listen, I, I grew up in church to try to do this. You cannot legislate the character of God. You can't get a religious system that has all the right rules and you just follow the rules, you'll be like Jesus. No, Character does not come from legislation or religion or rules. It comes as the fruit of something else planted in your life. And the fruit of the spirit of the resurrected Christ will have this product produce fruit in your life. Isn't that beautiful? Now, we don't often read past this, but look at what happens. This fits with when we were talking about previous weeks. What do you fill in your life with? What do you fill in your bucket with? All that. This is what it says. Those who belong to Christ Jesus, who have the fruit of spirit in their life, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. We'll be able to let go of the things that pull us away from the life of God. This isn't rule stuff. The Spirit empowers us to do that. Since we live by the Spirit, I love this metaphor, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Jesus is still going. He's still moving. He's still doing God's mission in the world. So let's just keep in the step with the Spirit. And what will happen? Here is the collective fruit of the Spirit. It says, let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Do you notice what it says? Like, the fruit of the Spirit, the, te- the Spirit will teach us how to get along. Isn't that amazing? Like, look at the dude. The Holy Spirit will empower human beings to overcome provoking each other into conflict. The Holy Spirit produces that. The, the real takeaway for me when I look at this, again, I've told you before, I've seen things like this as a list of things, of virtues I have to go work hard to do. Oh, i got to go be loving now. i got to be good now. i got to be kind now. No. Do you know what all of these character traits are? Listen, this is so huge. These nine character traits are descriptions of a person. Who? Jesus. The fruit of the Spirit is the produce of Jesus' life among the people of God. Isn't that amazing? And when we are in step with the Spirit of God, we look more and more and more like Jesus. It's not religion. It is the teacher walking alongside of us. Isn't that breathtaking? I don't know if you're like me. I would hear something like that when I was younger, and I would think, oh, okay, so that means i got to go be a missionary or a homeless preacher like Jesus. No, think about his life. Like, just fast forward in your mind through the life of Jesus and any of the Gospels. If you're brand new, I encourage you to go do this. Just go look at, go look at the John, the book of John. Just look at the interactions he does with human beings. Look at Luke. Look, just skim through it. Here's what you'll find. In every area of his life, Jesus knew how to impact other people. 
Isn't that amazing? He knew how to make a difference in people's lives. He always gave people a chance to live more. Now, they didn't all accept it, but he engaged people for the better. He also knew that we're living in occupied territory and that there is a spiritual enemy we cannot see that is here to take you out. And Jesus knew how to stand up to the enemy. Jesus knew how to face critics in their lives and those who would tear them down. Jesus knew how to face the voices on the inside that it says in the book of Hebrews that he had. Jesus knew in every particular moment how to show up, listen to me, and be the best version of himself in every moment, in every place, with every person. Wouldn't you love that? I'm just telling you, behind the wheel, I'm not always the best person. There are moments in my life I'm not the man I want to be. Jesus was that everywhere with everybody. And listen, what you'll see if you just look at the life of Jesus. He was so full of the life and the wonder and the power of God. It just flowed out of him. I don't know about you, but I want that. And Jesus says, guess what? There is a teacher who will teach you everything that I am in your life and in your circumstances. Isn't that amazing? Even more than that, he goes on in the next verse, verse 29. And he says, we don't just have a teacher. Guess what we have? We have a living reminder. A living reminder. I don't know if you're like me, but look, I can't remember anything. So all the time, I'm walking around, Siri, remind me at 10 o'clock tonight, I got to do this or whatever. All the time. I'm not talking about an app that will kind of prompt you for things. A living reminder. Reminder, Jesus said the paraclete will come alongside you, walk with you in your life and say, hey, do you remember? Did you remember this? Did you remember this? Do you remember a long time ago you learned this lesson? Do you really want to learn it again? And not in a condemnation way, but in a life giving. All along the way, he's going to remind you. What does it say in verse 29? It says, Jesus said, he will remind you of everything I have said. The Holy Spirit is the ongoing teacher of Jesus. He's going to take anything and everything that Jesus has ever taught and done. John 16, it says, He takes from what I've given Him and gives to you. Whatever Jesus has said, done, and is, the Holy Spirit can take that and bring it to bear in your moment that you need it in your life. Isn't that amazing? The Holy Spirit is a reminder. Why is that so important? Oh, you got to hear this. One of the gems of life and wisdom that one of my mentors and teachers gave me. He said, understand this, sin, I'm not talking about breaking a rule, I'm talking about this thing we talked about before, filling up my bucket with something that's not God, putting anything other than God in the center of my life, right? Sin, not sins, sin, listen to me, sin is a forgetting disease. It's great wisdom. Sin is a forgetting disease. What's the problem with sin? It's not like, oh, you're going to get thrown in hell or whatever. It is when I practice the way of life, a direction of my life that is going away from God, it makes me forget who I am and why I'm here. And it's one of the most important things I can say, especially to young people. Listen, the worst mistakes I've ever made in my life is when I forgot who I was. Worst decisions I've ever made in my life is when I forgot who I was and the impact of my choices in my life. Sin is a forgetting disease. And isn't it glorious that God says, I'm going to give you a living reminder to walk with you every day. This is who you are. This is who you are. I know you blew it, but that's not who you are. Your failure does not define you. This is who you are. Isn't that glorious? By the way, the flip side is true. The most wonderful moments of my life have been the moments when I know and I'm doing the reason I'm on the planet 
And you know that too. You know those times you have been absolutely alive inside. You are dancing in step with the Holy Spirit, whether you know it or not in those moments. And here's the great thing. The Holy Spirit will say, come this way. This is who you are. Isn't that wonderful? Now, this isn't just information. I say we're trying to practice the series. Watch for it. Have you had moments when a song popped in your mind and it was a good one? It was, it was a Christian song. Where it, might not even, it might be a secular song, but it, it is, God is using it to remind you who you are. Have you had a moment like that? Have you had a moment where just out of the blue, a Bible verse just comes into your head? Listen, isn't it wonderful to think of the Holy Spirit as a reminder? All of a sudden, it makes the stuff we do make sense a little bit more. Why do we come to church? Like, why do we come and sing songs we've sung before? I know it's a big book, but we read this, we've read this book for 2,000 years. Why do we keep doing that? Have you ever thought of it this way? I'm just sticking stuff inside of me that the Holy Spirit can remind me of when I need it. Isn't that a powerful picture? It's one of the reasons why, as part of our discipleship groups, we do memory verses. And we don't always do a great job of it, but I know for me, every, every two weeks, I'm thinking about one verse. And I had a friend of mine, not a friend of mine, a teacher say this one time, and it helped me understand this. I might only know it for two weeks. And I might screw it up, but I kind of know it for two weeks. Here's the cool thing. I'm just going to dedicate two weeks, and I'm going to think about that. The ones I remember as a kid, Deuteronomy 29, still there. The ones I just remember a few weeks ago will come and go. But here's the thing. I believe, if this is true, what I stuck in there for those two weeks may just pop up when I need it the most. Isn't that amazing? That's why we call them spiritual disciplines or spiritual practices. It's not little things you do to make God happy with you. It is ammunition. <laughs> that you are allowing God to put in your life that he will bring out at the right moment. Isn't that beautiful? Holy Spirit is a reminder of what Jesus has already taught. And that's what I love about what he goes on to say in the, in the next part of this. Jesus shows us that one of the major ways that God teaches us and works with us is by planting seeds. What do I mean by that? Watch for this. Again, watch for this. I used to think, okay, i got to go to church, got to get all the points, got to make sure I know everything. I, I've learned it all, and I walk away, I'm done, so let's move on to the next thing. No, watch. God will plant seeds of stuff in your life. You have no idea what he's doing yet. He'll give you information. He'll give you stuff. You're like, why am I doing this? There will be things that God exposes you to, experiences, scripture, teaching. He'll put in your life, people, he'll put in your life, and you don't know yet now why you need it. He's just planting seeds. You won't understand it. You won't get it. But later on, it will come and make sense. By the way, it happens throughout the book of John. Go read through it. One great example is Jesus goes around in John chapter 2, and he says, there's that building over there called the temple. Tear it down. Three days later, I'm going to build it back. And they're like, what is that? Nobody understood it. What does it say? John, now writing, inspired by the Holy Spirit, said, little editor's note, he said, oh, after Jesus was resurrected, listen to this word, we remembered this saying of Jesus, and now we understood he was talking about his body, not a building. Isn't that amazing? God will plant things in your life, and only later will the aha moment happen. Watch for it. And that's why you discipline yourself to actually read Scripture and do some of the things people tell you to do. And say, oh, gosh, I don't know if I want to do it. Hold on. You're putting things in, and they are seeds that God will bring to fruition later. I remember there was a season in my life where I don't know why, but I felt, well, I knew partially, it's funny, God will even use kind of bad reasons or whatever. I was studying suffering. What a weird thing to study. But look, I can turn anything in the Bible into self-condemnation, and I was reading these passages that say, if you're a follower of Jesus, you will suffer. So, of course, what, it was, what was I doing with that was I was saying, I'm not suffering enough, I must not be a Christian. <laughs> don't do that. Don't recommend that. But I was studying these things. 
I didn't understand anything. That was, but I kept being drawn to these passages. Then later on in my life, I told you about the time I had an intense anxiety disorder and I went through some other experiences. All of a sudden, those passages that I had studied before and made no sense to me, it was like the entire Bible opened up to me. And one of the great places I've mentioned before is 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, the beginning of that, where he talks about the comfort of God. And, and I remember it like I'd read it before, but all of a sudden it was me. And then later on, there was a new experience in my life, and all of a sudden it was me again in a totally different way. And then, and then a few years later, it was me, and it, I was like, oh my gosh. He had planted seeds, and it was just like bearing fruit all over my life. Watch for this. The Holy Spirit will expose you to things, and you're like, oh, what's the big deal? You're bored with me talking right now. But trust me, he'll use something, and he'll bring it back at just the right moment. And I don't know about you, but I need to remember that in all sorts of areas of my life. As a parent, have you ever felt like, I'm not done with our kids. I haven't taught them enough. Great. The paraclete will. All you do is you plant seeds. And it may be 40 years later, and the seeds will come to fruition. If they're at least slightly open to it. Students, you're going to be exposed all the time to stuff. And you'll ask this question, why am I learning this? I still don't know about math, but I'm just kidding. But there, there, there are things I have to write. Why, why is the teacher? Listen, I have learned nothing is wasted in God's world. You have no idea. Stuff that you expose yourself to in a positive way that you're learning, God will use. I got an entire graduate degree that largely in my life I've not used. But I'm telling you, time and time again, the Holy Spirit of God will use things that I went through to help me grow or to help somebody else. Watch for him planting seeds. Friends, people you're praying for, just be content to allow God to plant seeds in you and in other people and watch. Sometimes years, years later. Right, Jeff? Sometimes years later, that will come to fruition. Isn't that amazing? All right, last thing. I always try to study a text in its whole context, and, and you know, I just wanted to talk about that stuff. And then, and then the last thing I see here, I'm like, it just captured me. Because here at the end of this, verse 30 and 31, you get a window into the heart of Jesus that shows you where Jesus is leading us. You get just like a little window into the heart of Jesus. We don't see all of it. We get a window into Jesus' heart that shows us where he's taking us. And it just spellbound me when I was studying this. What does he say in verse 30? Just like the whole context, it starts like super scary and then it gets cool. It starts scary because he says to them, verse 30, he said, look, I got a lot more to say. I'm not freaking out because I'm not going to say it because the Holy Spirit's going to come say it. But I have more to say, but I'm not going to say it anymore because the ruler of this world's coming. That's kind of eerie, isn't it? The ruler of this world's coming. What does he mean by that? John is a master of, of dual meanings of things. I think he means at least two things. The first is there was a very, if you asked who, who the ruler of the world was back then, everybody would say Caesar. And, and trust me, Caesar was coming. That night, his soldiers were to come arrest Jesus alongside the temple guards. In the course of the, night, <clears throat> the day after that, his soldiers, Caesar's troops, would be primarily physically responsible for the execution of Jesus. The ruler of this world was coming. But we all know also, spiritually in this context, Jesus is talking about a, the enemy who is running Caesar, right? The ruler of this world. We know we live in occupied territory. There is an enemy. God is still in charge of everything, but he has allowed the fallen enemy called the devil and Satan. You might not believe all the hocus pocus. I'm just telling you, live long enough, it's real. There's an enemy out in this world, and he said, that guy's coming. And he's going to think it's his heyday because he's going to be the one driving it to put me on a cross. Now listen to this. It made me almost want to weep and shout when I read this. Sometimes God works in weird ways. He works through Bible software. I was reading it in the Greek. 
Now, I don't sit around reading Greek. Oh, no, I'd like the Bible software told me what he said. Now, in, in the translation I read, this is what he said. The ruler of this world is coming. The ruler of this is coming, and he has no hold on me, is what it said. But you know what it says in the Greek? It just, it just felt like this. Picture Jesus saying it. The ruler of this world's coming. He thinks he's got it going, but he said, he has nothing on me. Do you feel that? Isn't that beautiful? In the undone moments of ourselves, Jesus says, the ruler's going to come and give me everything he's got, but he's got nothing on me. Hear the boldness and confidence of Jesus as he goes to the cross. He's got nothing on me. So his disciples might ask him, and so Jesus just went ahead and answered it. Then why in the world are you going to let the devil kill you? You ready for the heart of Jesus? Oh my gosh, watch this. I don't know if I've seen this most of my life. You know what it says in verse 31? The reason the ruler is coming of this world is so that the world might know that I love the Father and will do whatever he says out of that love. You know, my whole life I understood that Jesus went to the cross because he loved me. Do you know what he's telling me here? He didn't just go to the cross because he loved me. He went to the cross because he loved his Father. And he let the devil win in that moment because he wanted the whole world to see what love for the Father God looks like on full display. Isn't that glorious? Because he believes the Holy Spirit will teach us to keep watching Jesus and keep watching Jesus and keep watching Jesus, I'm telling you, if you gaze at him with your being, you will be drawn into that love too. And with this great, great book by Donald Miller back in the day. It was a book called Blue Like Jazz. It's a little angst-ridden now. He was a little gripey at that time, but it fit the time. So a lot of it's dated now. But what he says at the beginning of the book is still one of the best quotes I've ever come across in post-Bible uh, you history. He says, sometimes you have to watch somebody love something before you can love it yourself. Take this as great life wisdom. Sometimes you've got to watch somebody love something before you can love it yourself. He, he was talking about learning this when he went to New Orleans one time, and he's walking down the street, and he said, when I showed up in New Orleans that day, if you had asked me, he said, I don't like jazz music. I don't understand jazz music. I don't get it. Some of you love it. He didn't get it. But he said, I'm walking down the street, and all of a sudden I came across this one particular place where there was a saxophone player, and the, the song was just coming out of his soul when he was playing the jazz. And he's watched this guy play with his entire being. He was drawn in in every possible way. Now he loves jazz. Sometimes you've got to watch somebody love something before you can love it yourself. You know the reason the Holy Spirit is here? To invite us to watch Jesus love our God the way he was intended to be loved. And to watch Jesus love difficult and unlovable people so astoundingly that as we see the music come out of his being, we want that too. You've seen it happen before in your life, haven't you? It's happened for you, hasn't it? I saw it on Friday night. Some of you guys probably did too. I mentioned this before. When the game's over, especially when we win, I always love walking over to the stands. And Al and Mary Jolly are there cheering on people that are decades younger than you. We won't talk ages. They come every time we have a home game, and they'll come. And the wardens come. And we got a whole cheering section, don't we, guys? 
I tell you, I always love it because it's just fitting because I'm standing down here and I'm looking up at these two incredible people that I love so much. And I hope you can go back and listen to this because Al says I can't, your sermon looked like it was good, but he can't always hear me. <laughs> I love you, man. I just, I love watching two. And Al and I had some jokes together and then Mary joined in and she made a joke and we were just having a blast together. And it reminded me, I never told you guys of this, but a couple weeks ago, and oh, sorry, two of you were standing there, and my, my wonderful bride was standing next to you, and I just put my hand on her, and I was just feeling like, I love this woman so much, but I don't know how to love her the way I want to love her completely, and I look at the way the two of you love, and I want to love her like that. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes you got to watch somebody love in a way that, oh, that's what, that's what it looks like. We see it in our lives. Jesus says it's true. The Holy Spirit can so saturate your life that other people will know what an engineer for Jesus looks like because of the way you love him. And what a church of Jesus Christ would look like, broken and as perfect as we are, is the Holy Spirit teaches us to gaze at the love of the Son of God. That is our prayer, Father God. You would so pour out your Holy Spirit upon us. That you keep teaching us and reminding us what love looks like in the life of your son. And we pray that that happens so deeply within us that you naturally will then propel us into a world to love the way that you love us. We cannot do it without you. So Holy Spirit, would you teach us and remind us and guide us and plant the seeds that will produce your fruit among all of us. In the glorious resurrected name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Would you please stand as we sing?